I'm here with, for those who don't know, uh, his august personage, uh, Matt, also known as Agent42Q, also known as Wednesday Serial, also known as the better half of Untold Talks of Spider-Man, or the lesser half. Dark Avengers C86 and ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Never Stay Dead. A special live edition on YouTube, so it will not be much edited after the fact. But for those listening afterwards, we are getting live comments coming through from a few viewers. We have eight people watching at the moment. Wow. That's so, more views than I get on uh, my recent videos, so we're doing all right. You're a popular man. Do you want to tell the, the folks out there in podcast land what we're going to talk about tonight? Today we are talking about Max Marvel Comics. Uh, somewhere in the 2000s sensation from Brian K. Vaughn and Kyle Holtz. The Hood. Darker exploration into the seedy uh, side of Marvel. And in a way, kind of a... Uh, a play on a Spider-Man-esque origin, but for a villain. True, true. I hadn't thought of that. He is kind of like a villainous Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, what was particular when Matt suggested this to me, what jumped out at me right away was Brian K. Vaughn. Oh, I had no idea he did this comic and he's one of the most, you know, currently famous writers in comics and most popular writers in comics. Except he hasn't turned out an issue in like what a year, right? But he still looms large, I would say. Uh, <laughs> and everyone's breathlessly awaiting his return, which will be maybe further delayed given um, pandemic events, right? Oh God! But On the other hand, Kyle Holtz. Not many people know about him. Is he the same guy who's now appearing in some DC comics, like that oh. Spectre issue of Detective Comics? Is that the same guy? Um, no. And so, and if he's that if he's the same guy, he just recently did an issue of Justice League Dark. That's cool. maybe I'm thinking of someone named Holt. I'm not sure if it's Holtz or Holtz. Um, he did do some detective comics recently. He did a web yeah. of uh, Venom issue recently. So I think his style has changed quite a bit from here. Although you can see in this yeah. one a bit of that uh, Kelly Jones art style that is also still noticeable in his current artwork. Oh, he uh, did the art for the worst issue of Agent X. Yeah, well, that's something. <laughs> anyway, he clearly has not become as famous as Brian K. Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. But maybe Brian, so we couldn't figure out when, um, why the last man happened which is another one of brian k vaughn's very famous comics here so the hood is 2002 oh 2002 okay and then why the last man is 2008 so this is before ah, okay so he had not really made a name for himself then at least to the larger comic book audience yeah since i was not paying any attention to Max well, comics, i don't know what the reaction to this was at the time um sorry i'm looking at runaways <laughs> to see when that was 2003 oh else so this predates uh, runaways even so yeah this was him earning his way into comics because i believe he'd done some tv before this so and so there's a look for those watching on video there's a look at 
Kyle Holt's artwork. I think it gets better as the series continues. That's fair. I think um, I I think the art overall is just great in this. And then I just wanted to know. You think it's great? You said. Yeah, I think it fits okay. the book well. It's consistent. I had it, feelings. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't crazy about the way he drew faces, but I, I guess I was being a bit picky. I can always tell who people are. And um, I can always pick up the emotion that I need to be getting out of them. Um, it's not always my favorite look, I guess. But I mean, as far as what I'm looking for in a comic book, like uh, it's certainly uh, did what it was supposed to be doing. I don't know. And overall, I, I think it grew on me and I think the art got better as it went along. I, it is a little overly expressive, I guess, which is weird for like a Marvel comic. Um, but I thought, it, I, I kind of dug it. It, it just kind of, it had some flair, some style, some fun. It punched up a lot of these talking head moments, which there are a lot of in this comic. So, And to, to spoil the plot, which we do on this show, um, <laughs> it's about a small time hood or thug even, maybe, <laughs> who... Uh, he and his cousin do uh, burglaries and robberies, and they also beat up people and piss on them and steal their shoes. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're hoodlums. They're uh, no good. They, they really have very little care about anyone else, except the guy cares about his his mother, who's I guess in an insane asylum of a sort or nursing home slash psychiatric hospital. And he has a, a hooker who he sees regularly, and he has a girlfriend who's pregnant. And yeah. as the story develops, we realize he cares about his cousin, I guess. Uh, well, but he, so he cares about the people close to him it, to varying degrees and right. varying ways. But um, but even so, there, his caring for them has a kind of shallow feel about it. Well, it does. But what's so what's interesting interesting about that as we get into it i guess we might as well just dive in is the parallel like i said between him and peter parker because when you start looking at this guy who's a scumbag and you start looking at him ditching people and avoiding them and doing some questionable things around them you think ah oh, what a douche but then you, right. you take a step back and if you compare him to peter parker peter parker is running out on aunt may constantly Started running, as a douche <laughs> yeah uh, it, well and original peter parker was more um jerky you could see why people mm -hmm. didn't like him especially right. when steve dicko ha had the reins of writing him and uh so it, you can draw a lot of parallels and maybe see that like you know intentions and outputs you know are going to color your intentions because when you know like he's going to be spider-man you think one thing when this guy is going to be the hood in a way he's bringing that back to the people closer to them and actually should make his their lives better it, it's an interesting way to look at it because i think uh so, before we jump too far ahead let me say that he and his cousin rob a warehouse mm -hmm. some strange alien or demon appears demon. It's definitely and, a demon. Well, they call it a demon, but we have never get an explanation. Within these well, it's clearly things. mystical, though, not uh, extraterrestrial. With the hieroglyphs and, the, uh, so, and the demon chanting and supernatural powers. I guess I didn't. I didn't catch that, um, or I didn't feel sure of that. Um, but anyway, they kill the demon, or seem to kill the demon, and he steals <laughs> the demon's shoes and its cloak, 
thinking he'll be able to sell it, but then finds the shoes and the cloak give him superpowers. The shoes make him be able to walk on air and the cloak allows him to become invisible while he's holding holding his breath, which I thought was brilliant. So, he, oh. And he's a smoker, so he can't hold his breath very long. I'm gonna have to correct you on one thing. It's not a cloak, it's a hood. We it's, it's a hoodie cloak, I suppose. <laughs> There's probably a proper term for it from the medieval ages. Uh, and then he um, he sets out to become a minor, <laughs> to pull off bigger scores, to be a minor supervillain. And oh. in the course of it, accidentally kills a cop and steals diamonds from a big mobster who hires supervillains to work for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, through a bunch of shenanigans, his his uh, cousin gets blamed for the murder, gets pulled into jail, and some people are some FBI people are investigating. They want to they want to bring down a costumed villain to make the FBI look better, and and ultimately he outsmarts everybody, partially by accident, partially in the end by actually using his brains. So we do see him become a smarter supervillain and someone who, to some extent, takes care of his his own inner circle. Well, again, his cousin we, and his pregnant girlfriend a little bit. We see him compared to Peter Parker, where in this situation he figures out what needs to be done. He he's reacting the situation. He's clever. He's smart, but he's not like knowledgeable. He's not science smart. So it's a bit of a different right. thing. But he's like a really crafty criminal and we see that from the get-go even really? when they're robbing shoes off people yeah he he is pulling back on his cousin at the right times and pushing at the right times he he's definitely aware of the situation and he has the right instincts he's like criminally intelligent not necessarily like scientifically or otherwise so he's able really? to i didn't see that he was he he was a little smarter than his cousin but I didn't, and you know he's he's kind of a shoot first guy. Ah, I mean he's he's aggressive, but you have to be to be a criminal like that to be pulling through the underworld. Have you never I mean, built your own criminal come, empire? It didn't come back to haunt him yet, but they did beat up a Hydra agent, <laughs> which oh. may have been a a bad move, and piss on him and steal his boots. <laughs> well, yeah, but they they beat on him because he's basically a Nazi around right after 9-11. Sort of, but they also are sociopaths who just don't think about the uh, consequences of their actions. But they're American sociopaths. Didn't you read uh, Joker in that uh, Superman... I um, know oh, it was uh, Batman and Captain... Was it Cap Batman Captain America? Where the Joker makes a big deal about I being an American... They may be, but in uh, on the other hand, maybe it was just an excuse to beat someone up. Because they don't oh. show any other. Um, if 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 that's Vaughn's way of trying to show that there actually are sympathetic people despite being criminals, I, it's nothing, a blend. Nothing else comes forward to parallel that. It's a, well, they're, they're thugs. They're criminals. They're despicable. No question, but. They're also pissed off about 9-11. They're New Yorkers, just like anyone else. So it's those intentions being blended in with the criminality. I mean, crimes happen because of motivation. I, it's, I don't know, it was an interesting little moment that, like, played them 
despicably and um, somewhat sympathetically at the same time. I don't know. It was a very uh, kind of Nick Spencer moment in a way. The art, as I've been flipping through the pages of the first issue, even by the end of the first issue, the art looks better to me, like this page I'm showing right here, where it does look like they're looking at mystical symbols and such. But who put out all these mystical symbols? I mean, I assumed it was like a demon summoning circle. And I mean, that, that is clearly a demon, not an alien. I know my Marvel aliens. I know my Marvel demons. That's okay. something out of the pages of uh, Ghostwriter, not Captain Marvel. <laughs> But here the art looks really good. Um, yeah. yeah Jack Yo in our right. comments mentions that he was reading this when it was coming out, and he looked at it as kind of a companion to Robert Kirkman's Irredeemable Ant-Man, um, which was oh. a villain in the comic also. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I'd like I only read an issue or two of Irredeemable Ant-Man. I, I should I should go back and hunt that whole thing down. I don't, you don't seem to like despicable characters that much, though. That's true. Well, so what charm is I, 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 I did not like these characters, and I do wish there was something more for me to hold on to emotionally here, but I did think it was kind of a cool comic. And I read it, I was not thinking of Peter Parker until you said it. I read it thinking of Ed Brubaker comics like Criminal and, um, sleeper and things like that and it felt a lot like that to me that's fair i always have peter parker on the brain so also the guy's name well, is, this is a marvel Robinson, comic. so this is a marvel comic so and it makes sense that and as a it gives it more mythic weight if it's kind of a parallel to peter mm -hmm. parker um I, and I'm trying to figure out why I feel a little more sympathy for the criminals in Ed Brubaker comics than I do in here. Um, maybe because in Ed Brubaker comics, it, they tie more closely into their childhood. And this has a little bit of that with the childhood friendship with the cousin. And that was kind of my favorite part of the book on a character level was the relationship with his cousin. Well, they're also set in a very different world, right? In Ned Brubaker comic, at least the kind you're thinking of, not like his Captain America run, right. um, but criminal. Um, they're set in a world where everybody's kind of morally gray, right? They're all somewhat compromised or yes. trying to get through and doing what they can. Whereas we're in the world of Spider-Man and Captain America here. This guy gets superpowers and he doesn't try to reform himself. He but just you, leans You in. could walk into this comic book and read it as just a comic book about a morally gray world because there are no superheroes appear. The, uh, the FBI members are very morally gray. In fact, I liked that a lot. The more, and when they said, Oh, well, all our superiors are just hustling so that they can get jobs at shield and move out of the FBI. I thought that was a great little toss away comment that gives you kind of an idea of, uh, what a lot of workplaces are like. <laughs> when my wife worked at a local Oregon um, public public radio and public TV station, the top people at that station were all angling to get jobs at bigger stations. Um, so they would pour a lot of money into certain projects that would make them look good, but wouldn't necessarily get good ratings or, or be financially feasible. I mean, it made me immediately just think of that real life workplace kind of thing. <laughs> 
Uh, and I think that's something Vaughn does really well is slip in these little details that help build the world so quickly. And they're just little lines, but they give so much flavor. Yeah. And I thought, so the, the main, the mobster villain, we never learn who his, his master is. He no longer works for the, he's called the golem, but he's just mm -hmm. a regular human being who's merciless. And he no longer works for the kingpin. Mm -hmm. But someone is pulling his strings. So this was my, I, 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 you know, I slightly wish I cared a little more about the characters, but my biggest complaint in the end is all these loose ends that, you know, were it almost felt like the, uh, the writer was putting them in there to make us feel like by the end of the story, we will learn who the, what, what the real nature of the powers the hood got are, where they came from and what's going on with this main villain and who's pulling his strings. There's an, another nice touch was that he has a daughter who's a mutant. And although he's like this utterly merciless mobster, he um, does whatever, he, he spoils his daughter and he, she forces him to go to see Broadway plays over and over again that he doesn't want to see. And, and he uh, is, the one thing he has sympathy for is he wants to hire more mutants on his staff for diversity. <laughs> which i think actually i think that's kind of funny because if you're in this kind of business you should want to hire mutants they have freaking supernatural abilities usually that are offensive so, that's like, true why but it's also a world of people who are very free in their prejudices <laughs> so we see the other supervillains um misunderstand him and think they don't he doesn't want mutants and put down mutants in various ways Oh, there's always going to be the bigots, right? Like the Friends of Humanity aren't hiring mutants, obviously. Right. But the Kingpin, like, should be, right? Because he's just being shrewd. Right, but the other mobsters don't are the small-minded people, right? So you expect them to have small-minded But are they opinions. all going to be so I think it was mutants? very appropriate. I really liked the way Electro and Pumpkinhead, or whatever his name is, uh, etc., were anti-mutant. It's Jack-O-Lantern. Jack-O-Lantern, sorry. <laughs> I, no, it's fine. Spider-Man calls him Pumpkinhead more than Jack-O-Lantern anyways. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It is funny that as soon as he gets invisibility power, he does the girls in the locker room thing. Right, yeah, I'm showing on the screen the girls. Shooters, I-G-I-M-I. I assume that's a joke on Jim Shooter, but I don't know what I-G-Y-M-I means. That's God, the name man. of the women's gym that he's going to. Shooters, I got you my, uh, I don't know. It probably stands for some inside joke on, on Jim Shooter, uh, the, the previous publisher at Marvel Comics. Why do people hate Jim Shooter? They, he tried they, to get them like better pay and like all this right, other stuff. Right. I know he's a little over controlling, but like. Right. <sighs> I think he was someone who made the trains go on time and then it's at some point the power went to his head or that's how other people felt. Well, but uh, like. Uh, Christopher Priest in his day was like under his thumb and was pushing that too, and he got some of that heat as well. Right. Well, and there were were people who liked him, Shooter, and people who didn't. Uh, oh, talk about a tangent. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's in the comic. This is a rich comic. I mean, that's uh -huh. it, it's a rich but unsympathetic comic. <laughs> oh, and did you notice the lettering? I did not. Now let me look at the lettering. Why? So I, I, it's the ultimate comics font. Is it? 
It is, which really threw me off because um, in recent Venom comics, that's a tell for uh, when we have, uh, what's his name, the Maker, the Reed Richards of the Ultimate Universe, or oh. other characters when they come in. Uh, it was just interesting to see because it was just a font they were using at this point here. And it's just, it's a good font. Right. Uh, but it's just kind of funny because it has uh, added weight now. So where do you see, you see him having a turning point the way Peter Parker did of some sort? I, in a way, but it's a darker twist, right? It's not a, uh, it's not a twist in that he's going to change anything. It's a twist in that he is enabled to take things to the next level. So instead of realizing with great power comes re great responsibility, obviously, he realizes with great power he has a great advantage. And what can he do to, you know, make mm -hmm. more money, uh, be a criminal overlord? So he makes a play to, you know, be a criminal player. Well, he's not, he doesn't become a criminal overlord yet. I'm assuming that's mm -hmm. where he's headed. That is where he's headed. Do you know anything about um, where the trajectory of this character goes? No, I saw a little, like I glanced before we decided, I mean, before I read this, after we decided mm -hmm. to read it, I glanced at Wikipedia and then I decided not to read too much. And I had the sense that he continues on as a, some kind of criminal overlord. They brought we, back the V for uh, uh, Shocker's belt. <laughs> we're looking at the picture of Shocker and Constrictor and Pumpkinhead or Jack-o'-lantern. And for those who don't know, the chakra is originally going to be called the vibrator, and then they changed it at the last minute for unknown reasons. But he's kept the V belt. But most more modern comics have uh, ditched it. But here it is. And while they, because this is a uh, mature audience-only comic, they lean into the the language. I did kind of like it where <laughs> the it villain does look like me. Stricter calls uh, the jack o' lantern Jack Off Lantern. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do feel that, that that he captured what these villains would really be like. And uh, I, I just want to say this. Um, uh, me and the wife have been watching Picard recently, which is uh, has some moments. Well, it, you watch Star Trek The Next Gen, though, right? Oh, yes, yes. Religiously at one point. There, there's a super weird set of scenes where Picard is talking to he's like ex Starfleet at that point but he's talking to like Starfleet admirals and stuff and they just start cursing like sailors and it's super jarring and it feels wrong but here we're seeing the criminal underbelly of Marvel and the fact that they curse and like talk dirty with each other makes more sense than when they don't and it just works yeah. well here and it's fun I, I don't know it was just it's interesting to see you know when I when you lean blue, when it works, when it doesn't. When it does. Right, it seemed appropriate here. Anyway, I, I was a bit surprised, though, to think of him as becoming a criminal overlord, because at this point, he seems like an outsider who would kind of plague the mob as much as plague anyone else. Well, he does. This artist, uh, Kyle Holtz, leans heavily into the, the um, Kelly Jones style of art. What does Kelly Jones style of art mean to you? Lots of deep shadows, exaggerated folds. Even the postures of characters look kind of like the posture of Kelly Jones' characters to me. Of course, Kelly Jones got his starting point uh, kind of slightly imitating um, the original Swamp Thing artist, Wrightston, Bernie Wrightston. Just to say, um, some of those overstated shadows and whatnot are definitely the inker. So. Oh, true. And the inker actually is a much more well-known artist. It's... Um, the inker is Eric Powell, famous for the goon. I actually didn't know he ever worked at Marvel. 
I didn't know he worked as an inker. Um, yeah, so yeah. his inking may or may not be a big influence on this. Are you look at the this figure of the hood that looks so much like the way um, the way Kelly Jones would draw Batman and his cape? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I like too about the hood is he has these superpowers, but he's always uh, dual wielding pistols as well, which just it's fun to see a criminal and a Marvel character just willing to use guns, I guess. That's not like the Punisher or something, because it's... Right. Yeah, guns were a big part of this. I like that, too. I like the whole depiction of a villain slowly thug gaining superpowers. And we're on the third issue here, which is the one where he loses control and looks like as if he's possessed for a moment when he's in danger. Interesting little note that doesn't get played on. Well, that's another thing, like another power appears just once in the book. Mm -hmm. So it does leave me wanting just a continuation of this story. And hopefully, you know, all of this stuff being fleshed out. I think you kind of hinted to me that, that other writers take it over and don't really follow up on this plot so much. Well, there's parts that are followed up and parts that aren't. Um, there's a Jeff Parker mini that follows this. And then Bendis makes the hood one of his staples so throughout uh bendis's avengers run which is like three avengers books over decades uh -huh. um or at least over years <laughs> right um, Probably the hood pops up a fair amount and so and does he feel like this character i you know i bet you get different answers from different people and uh -huh. i haven't read all of it so i'm kind of it's harder to gauge though because the hood is the villain in those books and what's already an ensemble book and then there's an ensemble of villains because a big part of what the hood does is kind of do a uh injustice league for marvel he's there but the amount of uh page time he gets is right. relatively minimal so right i mean this is a different view of a villain than you usually get because usually the villains appear to be foils of the um it's of true. The hero and plot, and they tend to be movers of the plot. And here he is not the mover of the plot. He is the person swept up in the plot. He's not the antagonist. He's the protagonist. And he eventually takes, I like that he eventually takes control of the events that are out of his control and he takes control of them. But yeah, Well, and I think I, you were talking about the switch earlier. I feel that's where the switch is in this book for him. It's not about having the power it's about taking control once he has the power which is there's a this book's good <laughs> yeah it's just it's good there's parts to not like it's yeah. it definitely shows that you know brian k vaughn showed that he was a good writer earlier in his career um this might be after runaways anyway i'm not sure yeah uh, this is before runaways oh okay um i just looked that up um but, but he does not have, like, n the Brian K. Vaughn that I know from Why the Last Man and Saga is kind nice. of a master of issue pacing. And he does a good job of issue pacing, but he doesn't stand out the way Brian K. Vaughn now does here. But he gets a lot of other stuff right, like we've been talking about, all the little details he folds in and make making the characters feel more real and such. What so, else was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say, I think this shows that Marvel should take more time to build up the belts. Like, what's one of the biggest issues the Fantastic Four is that one where they build up Doom? Well, and, you know, we've often discussed about how how they could do more when things were compressed and not decompressed. 
Mm. They actually could spend many pages, which back then would be the equal of an issue or two now, many mm. pages, you know, going into what's going on with the villain, villain sometimes, or sometimes do an issue from the point of view of the villain. But now it, that would mean doing a whole arc from the point of view of the villain, six or 12 issues, which is harder for most comics to do these days. And in general, there's a motif I really like that happened a bit more, um, which is where you have the main character of an ongoing series gone for an issue or two, and all the supporting cast and all that just fill in. And obviously there's a bit of a search or whatever, right? But it, it forces you to see their effect on the world without them there. And it always does more to build up the main character and the side characters, and the entire series is richer for having that moment. Yeah, um, yeah. Going circling back to the Peter Parker connection, I, I'm going doy in my head. The main character's first name is Parker, so there's your clue right there that he's supposed to be a villainous. And and well, I guess not all those villains were were. Um, Spider-Man supervillains, but at least two of them were. I don't know who the constrictor originally is attached to. I feel like he's a Wolverine villain generally, um, but he's kind of a toss around Marvel villain in general. Like he was on Deadpool's roster uh, during the uh, Seinfeld knockoff era, or I should say the Christopher Priest era. Um, And there's a female villain. I can't remember her name now, who basically cuts people up with swords. And I, she was not familiar to me. She went, you knew I think she's introduced in this comic. So. Okay, so and then she's appeared. Since. And then she, uh... well, she's supposedly dead. So yeah, yeah, it's Marvel. But yeah, so I guess it would be fun if he became a Spider-Man villain, given that parallel. I mean, why not at this? Point? I I have no idea where the characters ended. I think I saw someone in the comments mention that he's the current Hawkeye, or or really the Hawkeye somehow. I I don't know. <laughs> I thought I saw on Wikipedia that he died eventually, but of course that doesn't mean anything. You can come back. I mean, we're not going to see, uh, that'd be a good one. It'd be better than what Nick Spencer's doing, but uh, yeah. I, I'd be uh, the female villain is called Madame Rapier. <laughs> Which. <laughs> yeah. That, they make a joke about rape at one point in here too. One of the villains does. Yeah. I, and that's something too. Like, I mean, I know it's Max, but like, it's still a Marvel comic and a, a rape joke and something like this. I, I was, was like, shocked wow. several times. Wait a minute, I'm reading Marvel. <laughs> yeah, it's uh was on the dark side, but I like. I mean, I think. I mean, it's weird because Marvel kind of was making a comeback, but they don't have anything like that now. That's part of what saved Marvel, right? The Max line at the time. Palmiotti and Casada uh, were the editors of the Max line, and they were given this freedom to do what they want. And when the Max line did really well, that's when they offered them the job to run all of Marvel. And I guess Palmiotti wanted out. And I'm I'm making this up to it. I don't know why they split, why Palmiotti didn't stay. But um, that's when Casada became the editor-in-chief of the whole line, based on the success of this Max line. At least that's, that's what I feel like I've read several times. So, I mean, it just seems obvious to me that, that Marvel ought to have a Max line, just as... When I'm reading with my daughter, they ought to have comics that are clearly marked kid-friendly because they do have kid-friendly comics, but they are just mixed in with all the other not-so-kid-friendly Hello? Yeah, you you froze for a second. Kid-friendly comics, I agree. Usually Marvel Adventures denotes that, but... 
Well, no, but see, just things like Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl and some other comics are more sophisticated than their, quote, Marvel Kids comics. But they're still for a younger audience. And anyway, that's, I guess, a conversation for another time. I it's should go good. back. I was not reading many Marvel comics at the time of the Max comics. So I should go back and read more, I guess. What Judging. I'd say, though, for those who maybe have something against Max comics, um, mm -hmm. this is more fun and more punchy than most Max comics, I'd say. Like, trying to go back and read The Punisher, man, like, that's hard for me because he's just grim. But this, this is, I don't know. This, I, this struck my fancy. I think there was a Ghost Rider series in the Max line that I read that I liked. Probably. Was okay. uh, was Daredevil with, written by Kevin Smith? Was that part of the Max line? I'm not sure. Was it? I think it was. I think Daredevil's part of Max for a while. And I've heard that's good. I have not read more than an issue or two of the Kevin Smith. The Kevin Smith Daredevil run was, I mean, it was an arc, really. It was interesting, but it does make one of the characters just a horn. Um, I, it definitely gets better right after Kevin Smith because that's when you start getting uh, other creators. That's when you start getting like Bendis right. and Brew Baker, and it was this golden era for Daredevil again. So, so um, other thoughts from on your end? Um, I kind of like the fact that he doesn't really have a costume. He's just has the hood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I like that he's literally a hood, a thug mm -hmm. in a costume. And, and we see how much of, you know, so his first thought is to use guns, whatever his powers are. And, and that makes sense. Well, I'm bummed that I can't just read the next arc written by Brian K. Vaughn of this. I think that's the real downside, especially because right. it has a cliffhanger that I'm showing here on screen. Yeah. And I forget if the Jeff Parker one picks up here or not or... I just honestly don't remember it. Well, ironic if they were, if the last line in the comic is someone saying Parker, and then the next, the next series is written by Jeff Parker. <laughs> I guess it wasn't the last line, but it was. Yeah, I know what you mean though. That is pretty funny. Um, it actually ends with some people talking about, like he's visiting his mother at the um, asylum. He'd hoped to get more money to bring her to a nicer nursing home, but he didn't. Um, and the last thing that's said about him is, yeah, the dude's a psycho too. Pulled a friggin' switchblade on me once. He yeah. only stops in here every so often. I keep praying he won't come back, but that mother effort always does. And that's, that's the actual end. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird ending that really makes you want some more of this story because it is like criminal to me of that just sort of irredeemable character who's going to keep making mistakes and blunder through things and and the, and the like. Mm -hmm. I guess I should try the Jeff Parker version then just, just to see. I mean, it's a mini, so you're not like investing in much. And then he has sporadic uh, appearances throughout Marvel. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I, 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 it's such a cool addition to Marvel, and I wish that Marvel would take more time to maybe build up villains, because there's so many like failed hero starts, right? Right. But I feel like a, a kind of failure to launch villain sort of thing would eventually play in, because 
all these heroes need punching bags eventually, so you can kind of build it up. We saw this recently in DC when um, Orlando brought Silencer into Wonder Woman in the most artificial, terrible way possible. And uh, just injected her ending into the Wonder Woman story that was going on. Uh, because there's a kind of villainous character to use, but we can kind of play her anti-hero, more heroic angle and play it up with Wonder Woman and do something. And I just feel like these characters can exist in the universe. They don't always have to have a book, but if you give them a good origin story and kind of put them on a path, uh, they can bumble around between books and be interesting. Yeah. Occasional miniseries, you know, scattered throughout the continuity of miniseries about the villains and their lives, you know, if done, especially if done as well as Brian K. Vaughn can do, right. Would really enrich the whole universe so that when those, when you see those villains appear in the Avengers or what have you, you have a different context for them. If you're, you know, a hardcore reader. It seems like DC ha- tries more often to have comics about villains. They just recently ended Deadpool, right? Uh, not Deadpool, uh, Deathstroke. And that was that was a run, though. <laughs> it was a very long, and I only read the first part of it, although I have a lot more issues that I need to circle back to. I was enjoying it quite a bit. It's, That's cool. The way they write Deathstroke, he really he wobbles between what kind of person he is, I suppose. So that can be a bit frustrating to me. Just the way, um, you know, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and a number of other villains, they have trouble keeping them in the villain camp. Yeah, there's a whole push for Poison Ivy in particular that want to make her a hero. And And there's a whole little mini fandom of Poison Ivy that just wants her to be a a sexy hero that they all love. Yeah. We will be back and alive again with whatever we choose to read next. I'm kind of thinking about making you read Neil Adams' short run on the X-Men just before they were canceled in whenever that was, 19... How long is that? 1970 or so. I think that's about eight issues. Eight issues of Roy Thomas and Neil Adams' X-Men. Could you handle that? I think so, yeah. Um, I think it includes... Well... Maybe we need to read other issues that lead into it then, and then that becomes kind of a long run. But it's very close to the beginning of the uh, introduction of um, what's Scott Summers' brother's name as a hero? Havoc. Havoc, Havoc. I was thinking Havoc was the wrong name. So it has a lot of Havoc in it. And And Polaris, uh, right? Polaris shows up, and Sauron, and um, the living pharaoh. I don't know if he ever came back. I think we might come back next with the next episode. So, uh, goodbye to everybody on the podcast.